Hey, welcome to the Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. We are your hosts, Eric Sturgeon. And I'm Russell Sorry. This podcast is about all things Wisconsin, history, music, culture, and beer. Although we don't often use strong language, the content is not intended for young audiences, so listener discretion is advised. If you love the bluegrass music you hear in this intro, please check out Dang It's from Madison, Wisconsin by visiting their website, dang-its.com. Now on to the show. All right. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast, your weekly dose of the dairy state. Today, we have a very special episode planned for you regarding some haunted history here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, Hey, I just wanted to also say I'm Eric. And I'm Russ. Perfect. Sometimes we forget to do that. Yeah. Uh, We are talking about the T.B. Scott Mansion. This is a truly spooky sort of thing. Oh, Oh, God. Oh, hey, where is that? Whoa. Casper? Uh, We usually wait until Halloween to produce any of these uh, creepy type stories from uh, our state, but uh, due to the unfortunate events uh, taking place recently, we felt we uh, should and and had to cover this topic. So uh, as always, uh, we also have great Wisconsin music from Bing Bong. We have another beer review for you. We have an installment of How Many Locos You At, as well as an interview with Bull Falls Brewery. So without any further ado, here is our story about the T.B. Scott Mansion. For those that don't know Merrill, Wisconsin, it is a northern town in Wisconsin, actually located in Lincoln County. So we're talking to Northwoods here. This is north of Highway 8, my my cutoff here. Yeah, so right. The town is known as the City of Parks and is an area where the Chippewa Indians settled. And this is where our story is going to begin. So the legend goes that when white men first settled in the area, in this case we are talking about the French traders, uh, the Chippewa area, which is called Squitio Sippi, inhabited the area. Yeah, I had to ask somebody how to pronounce that one. Let me just tell you Whoa. right now, brother. An Indian chief of the latter tribe welcomed all lumbermen to the area. When they came north across the Wisconsin River, the chief of the time of the tribe had a beautiful daughter. She was hot. Yeah, like a Pocahontas kind of situation going yeah. on. Sacagawea. Some say she was a princess who whose beauty drove the white men wild. Oh. Oof. John Smith. Yeah, baby. Rocking up. <laughs> John Stiff. John Stiff. Sorry. <laughs> the white men called her Jenny, a more American name. One of the virgins say that she and a white man had fallen in love and she died in childbirth, or that she had died of the influenza virus, which was sweeping the U.S. at the time. Either way, she fell ill and had died. The Native Americans of the area blamed white men for this happening, and I, I don't blame them. All right. Uh, yeah, hey, I mean, it's it's definitely known uh, that... Uh, the the presence of uh, the the white individuals that that kind of came to the uh, what we you know call the United States, they brought a lot of different you know yeah disease shit like, diseases yeah. Uh, weapons definitely yeah weapons and <laughs> and uh, a lot of murder and and uh, other very horrible things. So Jenny was buried on the hill, which is now called Holy Cross Hill, in the location of the T. B. Scott Mansion. The chief stood by his daughter's grave and was insanely devastated by the loss that he dedicated this area to his daughter and that any man who violated this area would be cursed. Hey. Yeah, baby. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. So we're going to go over the history of the uh, T.B. Scott Mansion. Yeah. So as the lumber industry began to grow, the settlement area would be known as Jenny Bull Falls and later just Jenny, as mentioned before. 
1883, the town would later be changed to Merrill after the SS Merrill, the president of the Pacific Railroad at the time. The T.B. Scott family settled this area in 1880 as the railroad had also come to Merrill. T.B. Scott was a Scottish-born citizen. Originally born in Scotland, at the age of 10, T.B. Scott would be the first mayor of Merrill, Wisconsin. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So he came over at the age of 10. They settled in the area. He became the first mayor of Merrill, which is pretty cool. That's really it's, cool. It's pretty neat, yeah. So in 1884, Scott decided to settle his family on the location, which we stated before is the Holy Cross Hill area, a.k.a. Cursed Ground. Cursed Ground, baby. They employed an architect from Milwaukee to design the new mansion home. While the home was being constructed, he died suddenly at the age of 57, and the house was left incomplete. Though his family was left to live here, his widow named Anna would ask their son to take on the project, Walter, where he be completed the siding and the roof. Anna would die awaiting surgery in New York in 1887 and was buried by her husband. One by one, anyone associated with his building and mansion would die. There are many others who lived here and died, so go on and dig more. There are probably These are probably the most well-known ones we're going to go after, um, and they're, pre- they're pretty nuts. And they're, I, Maybe they're coincidence, but it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to, to sort of write this off as coincidence uh, when there's this many. Yeah, and that's why we're going to... These are like the more famous ones yeah. that did occur over the time that the mansion was being built and designed and over its history. Right, so, exactly. Anybody anybody associated with this project. So in 1902, Walter Scott would die in Chicago where he went to see the architect on business and got into a slight disagreement. And I, I'm, I'm going to using the word slight here yeah, because the architect would stab him to death with a letter opener. Whoa. Yeah. yeah that's why we stay away from Chicago, yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in 1893, a wealthy Chicago businessman purchased the mansion and really did a number on the on the building, adding very fancy additions to the home. And in Illinois fashion, he just wanted it as a summer home. <laughs> the huge, oh, the huge. Crying out loud. This businessman would lose all of his wealth in the California gold mine fraud and mortgage the house to Chicago's saloon keeper. Yeah, so in 1889, the saloon keeper foreclosed the mortgage and the wealthy man would go insane and ended up in an asylum. While the saloon keeper would be stabbed in the back in the train station in Chicago to Merrill, which was supposedly a mob hit. So this building has some mob linkage to it. That's pretty wild. I mean, and, and many suspected he was using the building as a getaway um, to get away from the mob and the associated family he was with. Right. The saloon keeper. And th- that's another thing I left the name out because it's just kind of one of those things where I'd, I don't really want to get stabbed, dude. No, I for, yeah, you know, that's for talking for sure. bad about somebody. So especially not with uh, a letter opener. Yeah, definitely. That's a bit terrible that's way to kind. die. No, I'm gonna open my UPS package and you're back. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the property would be sold in at public auction in eight, August 31st, 1900. The owners then sold or leased the mansion to a corporation formed to create a lawyer's home, a place for elderly ind- indignant lawyers. I think I said that right. I might have wrote that a little wonky. Yeah. Holy cow. It's either indigent let's, or let's just leave that one out. Indignant. I was I was had some really cool creative writing going I think on it's at the indigent. time. Indigent. I yeah. think so too. But uh, I had some creative writing and I was using the uh, the little thesaurus that I had and yeah. I I thought it was a great word. But now that I can't pronounce it, I feel kind of dumb. It's all right. Okay. <laughs> it's Char- okay. Charles Charles Gibson was the general manager and had his office in the mansion. One day he left his office for an appointment downtown and simply disappeared without a trace. Hey, it happens. <laughs> yeah, I do not want to buy this mansion. I'm going to tell you right now. Around 19 or one or so, Peter Loyson rented the Scott mansion and the mansion was f- finally completed so that it could be used as a real home. 
He lived there with his wife and niece, raised a family, and they took in, in boarders. In 1906 to 1907, a midwife named Mrs. Mary Fellhaber bought the house on, and 39 acres of riverfront property, intending to turn the mansion into a hospital one day. She and her husband lived... She and her husband, Herman, moved into the home in 1906, and they were the first owners to actually live in the mansion since it was built. Mary took in boarders, and there are many interesting stories about them. One day while out in a buggy to attend a birth, Mary had a massive stroke and died in 1911. Whoa. Yeah, this mansion's causing some grief and some problems. It's just so crazy how many... Uh, incidents yeah. that we're that we're seeing here, and it doesn't get better. I'm going to be honest with you. Throughout I'm, its entire history, it's just nuts. I got the script in front of me. I know what's going on. So here. multiple owners used the mansion as a boarding house. One of the most interesting boarders, who at the time was also a caretaker of the property, a man they called One Armed Popcorn Dan. <laughs> yeah, old Popcorn Dan, one arm. Hey there. There, there, there has to be a song written about that guy. Yeah, I'm sure. Originally from England, he saved up enough money to return to his native England for a visit. He delayed his return home to the U.S. so he could book passage on the Titanic for its maiden voyage, sailing from England. I think we all know what happens here. Yeah. Let's just say there was an iceberg and some cold water. Popcorn Dan couldn't get back on an iceberg here. He couldn't pop back in. Whoa. (laughs) Of course, as we all know, the Titanic struck an iceberg and sank on April 15, 1912. Popcorn Dan was listed among the missing. Do you think they actually put Popcorn Dan on the on the log? I really hope that they didn't disrespect him that much. <laughs> right, yeah. I can't imagine that the that the nickname Popcorn is associated with anything super popular. Could you imagine Orville Redenbacher Willie went down? If you yeah. put my name as that, it'd be like, dude, yeah. come on, have some respect. Corn on the cob, Eric. Cripes. Oh, shit. <laughs> Mary's daughter, Pauline Freeberg, lived in the property for her aging father, who died in 1919. Her husband, Albert, and their two children, Walter and Alvin, Elvin, who are, are the only two children known to have actually been raised in the home. During the time frame in 1918, Robert Freeberg, the only child known to have been born at the mansion, was was born to Pauline's nephew and his wife, who lived with them at the time. Pauline ultimately sold the T.B. Scott mansion to the city of Merrill for $8,500, which is a pretty good deal. Actually, I mean, this is what, 1920 area? Yeah, so it's, 1918? A little like expensive, but. Yeah. I mean, I'd buy eight, it. $8,500 $8, is. Uh, I'd use my stimulus and put a down payment on that bad boy. I don't even know if that would help. <laughs> not, <laughs> not today. I don't want to die, but hey. Yeah. From 1919 to 1923, the mansion stood empty. Then the city gave the property to the Sisters of Mercy of Holy Cross with the condition that they establish a hospital. They did just that. Holy Cross Cross Hospital opened in November of 1926. And over the next 64 years, fancy chandeliers and other ornamentals in the mansion were removed by the sisters who favored simplicity and modesty as be, as, as benefiting a, a covent, a convent. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Walls were removed to make a chapel. Water, electricity, and steam heat were added. <laughs> and the building was remodeled and in an addition added to create apartments and even a classroom for the Holy Cross High School, which started in the uh, convent parlor at the mansion. The building was used as a provincial headquarters for the Holy Cross Sisters as a, a no, no, 
why do I use these crazy words? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes I just got, I'm trying to be like creative writing here and it's just like. That one is got, that one's got me. I think it's, I think a, it's novitiate. a novitiate as apartments, residence yeah. for the sisters, chaplains and hospital engineer. And as dorms for students attending Holy Cross Junior College before it was partially restored as an historic mansion in 1970s and limited tours of the building became available. And I really wish I could have seen that because I'm going to go into some of the unfortunate stuff that's happening as of today, which is, it's kind of a bummer, honestly. Yeah. So on January 30th, 1990, the TV Scott mansion was sold to the Good Samaritan Health Center uh, with the understanding that they would not sell or demolish it. This would not come to stay as this year in 2021, the TB Scott mansion has fallen into disrepair and is likely to be torn down, ending the long tragic history of the TB Scott mansion. There have been historians and others who would like to see it move to another location, but would cost roughly $5 million to do so. So it's pretty, and it's probably pretty unlikely at this point. And that's only $5 million to relocate the thing. Probably in its current condition, it's going to take, who knows, who knows how, how, how well it will travel. Uh, and, and once they get it to the final location that they're proposing, I mean, what happens to it then another, you know, $5 million sunk into it just to renovate it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, but to honor the tragic and haunted past of the mansion, we wanted to share its history, his haunted history as uh, ghost reportings and other mysterious events occurred behind its walls. We recommend to any listener to go and see this architectural masterpiece before it disappears. And we do hope that uh, with the demolish of the building that Jenny may uh, forever rest in peace and the land be restored. We don't want any more curses. Yeah. You know, know, and, and I I don't know anybody's, uh, personal uh, beliefs or, or opinions on uh, the paranormal or uh, let's call it the divine or anything. Uh, but Hey, th- this is too much to write off as just coincidence. Right. Um, this many people uh, associated with uh, this building have perished a- at really young ages and have met really, really uh, um, cruel fates. And, yeah. and that to me, um, I will associate it my my myself as uh, something uh, divine or something uh, uh, you know just paranormal uh, and creepy. Yeah, I mean, let's not call Zach Baggins though. That we don't need that guy screaming at the ghosts. Is he like a paranormal? Yeah, he's like that ghost adventures guy. He just screams at ghosts. And he, what like, a nut gets, job! Yeah, and he gets possessed and thinks he's like ghosts are raping him and stuff. It's just super messed up. Dude. You know, it's like I I would love to go and do it just to kind of. I've never seen anything really paranormal. I don't necessarily believe in any of that stuff. I'm pretty skeptical. You and I this. actually did. We we noticed that one time. Uh, remember, we drove out to that uh, cemetery or whatever with uh, Kara. Oh yeah, that was and, oh, man, that was super. Uh, we creepy. saw that cult group. Uh, oh yeah, with around the, whatever that uh, statue was. Yeah, so I, I don't remember the actual name of the church, but it was it was converted into like a satanic church at some point, and yeah. there's like weird things going on in the basements in like Lake Geneva area. And uh, yeah, we all drove out there, and there's these weird people out there, like the four guys, and they were like around, in like, uh, like, like hooded robes. Not you know, not they were like shrouds almost. It was, and weird. they like had like burning fires and stuff. It was like just really creepy. We were like, uh, yeah, let's get out of here right now. That was oh my god, who was with us for that? It was, it was me, like, you, Kara, and I don't remember who else wasn't came. Wasn't Dustin with. Borsma there too? Maybe somebody. Like, yeah, that was crazy. I mean, we definitely had the balls to do it, and I wasn't really scared until I saw the dudes. I'm like, you know what? Well, then they started walking towards. Yeah, us. and I, I don't. Really that was want. the the issue that i had we were still in the car yeah yeah uh we, we hadn't even made it out uh of the car yet we pulled in we drove back just a little ways but then all of yeah, a sudden yeah. we saw this group around this like statue thing and then they noticed us with the headlights and they just started walking towards us and we immediately Kara was driving she was like i'm out i'm yeah, done we're, <laughs> this nope, is over with we're gone so <laughs> 
But yeah, that's going to conclude the TB Sky Mansion. But like I said, if you have a chance before they demolish it, please get a chance to go up there and take some pictures. It's very cool, neat, yeah. old school t- old school architecture. I mean, it's it's too bad. And we also encourage you to just do a little bit of uh, your research uh, on your own as well because maybe the mansion is you know already gone at that point and uh, you just want to get a little bit more of the history and, and understand the stories yourself. So uh, do a quick Google search, uh, TB Scott Mansion, and you'll find some of these things yourself. Yeah, definitely. It's worth a listen. It's worth a watch, worth the read. All right, now on to our music segment. Uh, we have a really great band. They're out of the Madison area. They're the Bing Bongs. Uh, really, really great. They are like an energetic power pop group. Uh really driving that 70s uh, early 80s guitar rock uh taking a lot of influence from bands like rock pile the pretenders the smiths yeah super good stuff i mean i remember seeing them on the uh, pbs music hour and i was like we gotta contact them just really good stuff they've been nominated for many awards in wisconsin they've they've won a bunch of awards and they're and they're uh, uh literally becoming one of um uh wisconsin's you know more premier rock bands yeah, definitely check them out. And like the lead singer has an incredible voice, and uh, we oh. recommend you go and check these guys out for sure. Go and see them when once all this COVID business is over. Absolutely, go to their website. I'm sure they'll have uh, updated tour dates and and different things that you can probably check out, uh, as well as go and uh, uh, pick up some of their their albums uh, or check them out on like Spotify or or anything like that. So without further ado, we have Bing Bong Faces. Yeah. 
Faces, faces stare at me. What exactly is it that they see? Part of me, a part of you. Down inside, we're really all the same. When it comes down to the bone, the way you look. That again was Bing Bong, Faces, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's catchy. I absolutely love uh, not only that song. There's a bunch to uh, to definitely dive down. You could go down the the honey hole if you will, and and try to uh, listen to all their their stuff. But yeah, we got lucky because they emailed us the song because we yeah. didn't have to go through the entire catalog because they have a lot of great songs. Honestly, they got ton. It is, and it's super nice sometimes when the artist just says, "Hey." showcase let's let's showcase this one it was great because a lot of times then uh when we have to do the selection ourselves we sit there for days listening on and on and we're just like the the one that you're listening to becomes the one that you're going to use then the next track comes on and you're like oh man this one's got this sweet opening and 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 we're going to use this one so uh again great great thank you to uh, bing bong and uh everybody i encourage you go check them out they do have a website of their own as well so um, now on to our beer review segment, which uh, today is truly, I, I, I feel honored to be able to, uh, to bring this to you. This is one that, I'll be honest, you're probably not going to be able to try yourself. It's super limited. It's rare. I could not believe you found it. Yeah, and uh, it, it comes from our absolutely uh, famous, famous uh, gas stations, convenience stores, greatest bathrooms of any public place, uh, cleanest environment, great coffee. This is Quick Trip I'm talking about, oh, folks. I knew you baby. knew right from the beginning. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Russ, tell us a little bit more about this yeah, damn so this beverage. Yeah, so this is a limited re- uh, release quick series from Quick Trip called the Urge Tracker. And it is a peanut butter cup ice cream stout. And initially when you open this, you get an ice cream smell. Just give it a whiff. It smells like a big thing of ice cream. It smells delish. This is delicious. It comes in a one uh, one pint can, and it is 6.8% alcohol by volume. And uh, the artwork is pretty cool. It's kind of like take on the Mandalorian. It, it definitely is, yeah. I mean, he, he's like a bounty hunter with like a bee head. He has a gun with a spork on the end. And you can see like the, the baby Yoda or, or Grogu, for those who watch uh, Mandalorian, he's holding like a Grogu uh, baby Yoda figure in there. He's got all these weapons on his uh on his like sleeve like sleeve guns yeah and it's it's it's, it's, the artwork is totally so this is a carbon four beer from madison wisconsin carbon four is known for their wild art and And, this one does not disappoint and carbon four is i believe the official brewery of the quick trip series beers 
They yeah, did, I know they uh, had like a glazer, the glazer one, the glazer beer that we were not fortunate enough to get. Yeah, that one sold off so fast. Oh, That's yeah. why I'm so glad you found this one. I cannot believe yeah, you got it. It was a no-brainer to pick this one up. It's like 10 bucks for a four-pack of uh, pint cans, like Russ said. The artwork on this is it's just so off wild. the chain. It reminds me of like the 80s arcade kind of Blade Runner, that like futuristic neon, like their usual, yeah, you know, exactly. like their usual MO. And uh, I'm going to read from the can real quick. Um, it, here's the little description on it. Winded from the steep climb, I teased how many tracks could an urge tracker track. Very funny, rasped the helmet. The path in front of us split. Great now, which way did he go? I mused. He scanned the soil, then pointed. This is the way. <laughs> End scene. You love urge tracks. You love beer. Now you love urge tracker beer. And it is phenomenally crafted. Yeah, and, and here's the true tell of why this is definitely... Um, uh, mimicking or or paying homage, I don't know uh, what, but to the Mandalorian is uh, the Mandalorians. Um, the 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 thing that they always say is, "This is the way." Yeah, for sure. And so the, this is definitely uh, trying to uh, to like I said, either mimic or paying homage, whatever. I think to be honest, because of the artwork and the way that uh, uh, Carbon Four typically is. Uh, paying, they generally do pay homage to movies that they love. The Drive, The Drive, I love that movie. Um, they Night always call. do that. Night Call, and then also uh, paying homage uh, to The Office with. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of that. Oh beer. my god. Yeah, yeah. no, but yeah, it's really cool how they do that, and it's it's like they they pay homage, but at the same time they don't exactly give it away, so you kind of got to guess. And I remember it is sitting at Carbon Four with you and Mike, and uh, we yeah. were talking about the jacket. With the scorpion on the back, the white jacket with the scorpion from Drive. And I think you ended up getting that for Mike. I bought I bought one for Mike. And he was rocking it for a long time. Custom a custom made jacket uh that looks sort of like a letterman's jacket, if you will, that sort of style. No hood or anything like that. Uh, but with that sheer sheen white silk on the outside, some gold cuffs, and then that black and gold scorpion on the so back embroidered awesome. it's so cool and then i subsequently spilled some uh fight juice on it while we were at another bar in, oh uh, yeah Jameson. the fight juice but fight yeah juice. Th- initially so when you taste this it's literally like drinking ice cream the peanut butter's coming through it's almost like a reese's peanut butter cup and it actually almost tastes like a moose track ice cream like right out of the pint it's super delicious it's your standard stout color so you got that nice brown it's just a phenomenally crafted beer. Like anything from Carbon 4, I would recommend this. If you can get it, please grab it off the shelf. I mean, I highly recommend this one to anyone. Yeah, and and honestly, Carbon 4 uh, beers in general, uh, they're just so good. Fantasy Factory is one of it's the kinda, best IPAs. It's one of the IPAs I recommend to anyone who wants to try. Like an IPA from Wisconsin that's a good IPA. They use a really special hop called Galaxy Hop. So it's just a phenomenal flavor, and I highly recommend it. And they have just so many other good ones. I'm just trying to think of the top of my head some of the other ones I've had recently that I really enjoyed. Um, obviously, Night Call, I've drank tons of that. Fantasy Factory. Um, I'm trying to think some of the other ones. I know Eric is also a connoisseur of Carbon 4. Yeah, and... and uh Threat Level Midnight is the oh, one that we were talking one. about. Yeah, that one's really good. That's yep. the office <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, kind of uh, thing. You know, uh, uh, Michael Scott from The Office, he he writes this uh, movie thing called Threat Level Midnight and um, absolutely amazing. And then, uh, of course, Carbon 4 says, hey, we love The Office. We love Michael Scott. We love Threat Level Midnight. <laughs> and it is a fantastic beer. Um, 
as I was telling Russ too, I'm not a huge fan of stouts, porters, uh, some of the the darker ones. They're I. I like it. They're, they're just, a little heavy. They're very malty. They're a little heavy. Yeah, this one's definitely malty. I mean, there might be some hop in this, but not a lot. I'm guessing they're using like a Fuggles hop, they call them, which is like usually used in a stout or And they're an not Irish prominent. And they're they only, not prominent, no. They only boil in the the hop a short period of time. It's probably end, one yeah. hop at the very end, and it's probably for like... Uh, a half hour. Yeah, I mean, we, we've made stouts, and yeah, it's like a fuggle hop is usually like if you're making like a Guinness or something, using fuggles. And I'm guessing they probably do have it in here, but because the sweetness of that peanut butter stout is coming through so strong, yeah. you're not really tasting the bitterness. You're getting more of the maltiness up front. And it, and it the, the creaminess of it, too, uh, as Russ maybe pointed out already, uh, it, it really lends to the idea that this is ice cream. It's almost like there is that sweet cream kind of flavor with the peanut butter cup. So it is, it is a fantastic beer. Um, definitely one of those ones that you could probably take this, this, you know, 16 ounce can and you could probably share it amongst, you know, three or four people, maybe even put it over some ice cream and top it with like some chocolate shavings and then pop a peanut butter cup right on the top. Yeah, every time I drink Carbon 4, I just want to listen to Synthwave, like that 80s futuristic music. Just get like the Drive Nicole, album. Kav- Kavinsky. Literally just get the Drive album. There you go, and just sip these you're bad done. boys. Like, yeah, you'll you're know good. exactly what we're talking about. All right, it is that time of the show again where we discuss uh, a truly unfortunate event that uh, we like to, hey, we're fighting the battle as well. State of Wisconsin, click it or ticket, all that stuff. But we do it as well. And we like to call it, how many locals? <laughs> Rough. <laughs> all right. So uh, we've been talking a little bit about Quick Trip and, and our love of uh, all things KT. Uh, we've got a truly delicious uh, beer still in front of us here. Uh, this individual uh, has... has a few more than a baker's dozen. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's been rocking over the glazer box. Yeah, let's be honest. Here. Yeah, he's he's got a few extra donuts sitting on top of his glazer. So, a seventy-three-year-old Green Bay, Wisconsin man has been charged with his eighteenth oh, drunken driving How does offense. This guy have a license. And this is after a crash that he had on January eighth that took out power lines and caused an outage. So the individual had 17 prior operating while intoxicated convictions between 1988 and 2011. Jesus. But he did have a valid driver's license at the time Dude, of he, his January 8th crash. He's like the drunken candy man. He gets a drunk driving every two years. This <laughs> guy's like, like Willy cow. Wonka of uh, crashes and, and booze drinking yeah. and driving. Oof. So the uh, the news station there uh, reported that we the, the Wisconsin law now requires driver's licenses to be revoked, revoked after the fourth OWI conviction um, if the most recent conviction was within 15 years. Uh, but the individual's last conviction was 11, 2011. So before the new law went into effect in 18. So Whoa. he just so happened to find a little bit of a loophole. Uh, he was... Uh, sort of just grandfathered in, if you will, since he's probably a grandfather himself. Uh, he's on record saying, I've been sober since 2011, uh, the last DWI, and I blame the medications I have uh, to be on, uh, and and uh, they interfere with the, the few drinks that I did have. Really? 
Okay, that's fine. Here's the thing. If you're on medications and then you've also supposedly been sober since 2011, I mean, I can do the simple math here. 2011 to 2021 is 10 years. You've also now given your body a a chance to be completely free and clear of, of alcohol or intoxicants for 10 years. Your, your ability to handle booze is also now completely wiped out. Oh yeah, for sure. So whether it's, it's the medications you're claiming you're on, uh, that interfered with it, or it's the 10 year sobriety that you had that you supposedly now gave up. My, my opinion is, um, this guy is old, uh, and, and was sober for 10 years. uh, Also, supposedly, uh, he, he's claiming to have been sober for 10 years before this incident. Um, so there's a few, a few things at play here, Russ, uh, you know, 10 years of sobriety. Does he have a tolerance at all anymore? Probably not. He's on medication as well. So that probably played a little bit of a factor too. Oh, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I don't believe this is a, a real case of a four loco drunk driving. No, offense. this guy's 73. He would not choke down a You never know, man. Maybe, Maybe he got wet and wild. He was out in the Dells and uh, went to club wet. And I'm going to take a guess here, but this guy is probably like an old style hams drinker. Easily. Yeah. 73. Old Milwaukee. Old Milwaukee. Old Milwaukee's school. best. Oh yeah, yeah. Old school. Um, but what do we got here? So we don't know exactly everything. We don't have, um, any blood alcohol. Yeah. We don't levels. actually have uh, he a just, whole lot. He crashed. He crashed he, and hit he, a he pole and took out some electricity. Created a power outage. Okay. Um, so 73 created a power outage. Supposedly he's been sober for 10 years. So I think it's going to be on the lower end end of the loke. I think it's a medication. I think it's going to be on the lower end here. Yeah. You would expect that uh, whether you can consider, uh, or factor the, um, the, the lack of tolerance because of a 10-year sobriety or the medications, like you're saying. I mean, if you give a new drinker a loco, they're probably going to crash into a power line. Lights out. Yeah. That person might not even be able to drive no, because they're dead. They're going to do things that probably they wouldn't normally do sober. Let's yeah. be honest. It's so like, It's like giving a, a normal individual uh, the, the scissor, you know, the syrup. Oh, yeah. For, yeah. But the crazy thing is, Perp though, drink. like... 18 DOWIs too though like we got to factor that in too so 18 yeah. 73 years he's, old he's uh he's no uh, he's a veteran of drinking I was just going to say he is no rookie to the game of drink and drive no uh so with all that considered and factored um my my number is uh probably a half of a loco yeah i was thinking a half loco to a full loco yeah, honestly two, like t- two loco this is just an unfortunate medication interference yeah. loco yeah uh, medication and uh an intolerance combined makes me think this is a two loco uh and uh i'm i'm ready I've seen some new drinkers crumble under a four loco so yeah, yeah it's it's not for the faint of heart all right, today we're here with Mike from Bull Falls. How are you doing, Mike? Hey, I'm doing wonderful. All right, so can you give us a little history about how you guys got started? Sure. Back in the 90s, I was uh, just a normal guy living my life, drinking swill, uh, cheap American lagers. <laughs> right on. We do that, too. <laughs> and my wife, my wife got me a beer kit for Christmas, and that really changed my life. It opened up my eyes to beer in a way that I never thought was possible. So anyway, I was brewing at home and doing well with that, and um, I received some medals from homebrew competitions and such. 
And then one day there was a brewery for sale in the Wassa Buyer's Guide, and it was located in Eagle River. Awesome. So um, I called the guy, and he wanted a whole bunch of money for it. And uh, I kept that paper, and I called that guy every six to eight months for a couple of years. Finally, I could tell in his voice uh, that he wanted to get rid of it. So my partner, my dad, you always got to have somebody that believes in you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and he... He was on board because he liked the beer, too. We went up there with a roll of money, and he sold it to us right there in the woods where it was sitting in a garage. Then we moved it to Cronenwetter here in uh, near Mosinee, and it sat there for five years. Meanwhile, I'm still homebrewing, and then this building that Bull Falls is located in became available in 2007. And we bought this building here, and then we had that that brewery but like everybody else that loves craft beer whenever i travel around i go to breweries too and i knew about a brewery that was in stevens point that had been sitting idle it was a it was the old isidore street brewery and then i met the owners they were going to tear that building down so the the timing was perfect so we bought that brewery for about a third of what it cost new Awesome. And wow. then we moved that to Wausau. It was a 10-barrel brew house, and the one in Eagle River was just a three-barrel. Pretty small. Yeah. But we started in 2007 here with the 10-barrel brewery, and uh, I brewed on that thing every week for six and a half years. And then uh, we were at the Wisconsin Valley Fair, and I'm, at, I'm in the Optimus Beer Tent with the mayor of Wausau and he looks at me and there's a little crowd around us and we're drinking beers and he says I'm going to Bull Falls to drink the available soon beer now if you know our mayor he's a he's a funny guy (laughs) what that was what that really was was code for Zamzo never has any beer because at that point we were running out perpetually we couldn't keep any beers on tap and I was brewing like a maniac so that started a discussion with the city then, and they helped fund our expansion in 2013. Awesome. Um, so in 2013, I had hired a brewer just before we did the expansion. Uh, we built an 8,000-square-foot addition onto the building, and then we went to work and we bought a DME 30-barrel brew house and system with eight fermenters. And we had a canning line, and now we could go into business packaging beer and selling it to grocery stores and everything else because prior to that, we were just a growler shop. We didn't really have any packaging. So then, uh, well, we jump ahead here, and now it's 20. We've been in business now 14 years, and we've had had some real good success, although I might say this last year has been kind of a bummer. Yeah, I bet. We do this honor flight thing. We have an honor flight run, and we've contributed over $100,000 to the honor flight over the course of the 11 years that we've done it. And that always is in conjunction with coming up here on at Bull Falls April 10th is the Bull Falls Brewery Bachfest. Awesome. So the run typically is at noon, and then Bachfest starts at 1. But this year, of course, we're not doing the run. We can't get any volunteers to put it on. So we're going to stage the run again for next year in 2022. But we are going to do Bachfest here, and we'll have the Carmel Kaisers here caramelizing Bach beer with um, – it's a medieval thing where knights used to put their swords in the fires and get them red hot, and then they would warm up their drinks. 
And that's exactly what goes on here. There's so much caramel malt in that Bach beer that when you stick a red-hot poker in it, it caramelizes the sugar. Oh, wow. So, yeah, the comparison is like a roasted marshmallow. Now, it doesn't taste like a marshmallow, but you get what I mean. You eat yeah. a marshmallow, and then when you roast it, it's a completely different taste. Yep. So we'll have a hickory fire going here, and we'll have uh, the typical college group that hangs out with German tickle helmets on, and then Jerry Schmidt will be playing in the beer garden. He's a Nashville recording artist. Yeah. And then the, <clears throat> the local American Legion post 10 will be serving Bull Falls Brewery five-star ale brats. And oh, they're made by good. Custom Meats. So they'll be here making the food, and uh, it should be a really good time. And that's April 10th. I can't wait. We'll be there. You better believe it. <laughs> and, uh, it's a hoot. And I was going to ask you, too, um, I know, so is there a beer you recommend, like, our listeners go up there and try? I know for me, when I'm up going up to the Northwoods, Bull Falls is always my stop. Um, is there a beer you recommend right now? Well, let's see. Yeah, I think there probably is a couple. The most recent addition to the brew lineup here is Irish Red. It came out a couple weeks ago, and it's a typical traditional Irish Red. We use roasted barley in that beer and oatmeal stout only in that the roasted barley is what gives it that little red hue when you hold it up to the light. But we released that a couple weeks ago. And we open up the tap room daily at 4. Okay. So at 4 we open, and at 8, quarter to 9, the half barrel blew. Okay. That, that like, never happens. So there's two <laughs> things there. The beer is either really good or people are sick of COVID. I don't know. One of the two or a combination <laughs> of both. So that would be one I would highly recommend. We have, okay. I think, four packs, too. Awesome. And then uh, if you're... A connoisseur of stronger beers, I might suggest Mikey likes it. Uh, it's named after me from the old cereal commercial, remember? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Heck yeah, Mikey from Life, yeah. cereal, whatever. So my daughter did a caricature of me and put and that's on the can, and that's 9%. It's a Belgian strong ale. Okay. And Yum. it's got, like, dark, yeah. dark raisinated flavors like prunes and raisins and stuff. It's just really good. So are it's you... Just, it, Go ahead. And that one, are you using like a, a beet sugar then or a, a simple syrup? No. No? Okay. It's all malt. All malt. All okay, malt. awesome. That's really cool. Wow. I, I love a good Belgian, so I'm I'm all for that. Yeah. So. Awesome. And then the other one, there might be, might be three, and that would be a, this year's version of Bach. And that's a really smooth beer, too. It's 7%. But it's, it's uh, you know, we're more of a German-style brewery, as you might know. And our beers are not brewed to be anything other than the original style that comes from Germany. I've been there a number of times. So, you know, there's no Mike adaptation to it or American adaptation to it. So the Bach is brewed. It's a traditional Bach. I researched the recipe and years ago, of course. So that, that might be another one to try. Sounds good. And yet, good. do you guys mostly follow, like, the uh, German purity laws then, the Reheiskabut? Yeah, we do. Okay, that's awesome. That's really cool. I love like traditional brews. So, what is it like? Hop, water, yeast, and that's pretty much it. And malt, and that's pretty much it. So, that's really cool. Yeah, that's it. That's yep. awesome. And that I I love those beers because they stay true to the originals. They don't fluctuate. And I I love that styles. I love all the styles like that. So that's really cool. That you guys do that. Yeah, my dad's German, and our whole family is German, and you know it's just kind of way it rolls. 
Very cool. So, Mike, before we let you go, we have about eight to ten questions to ask. Uh, how Wisconsin are you? Are you ready for these? Sure. All right. So, first one: Have you ever been to Summerfest, and do you have a band that you uh, is memorable to you? I have been to Summerfest, and no, no, no memorable <laughs> ones. I mean, there's so many good ones. It's it's hard to pick a favorite, honestly. Like I've seen Tom Petty, the Eagles. You know, it's it's hard to pick a a, a classic great one from there. So understandable yeah it's been so long since i've been there i can't remember who actually i saw <laughs> i remember tom petty used to be there all the time and he was one of my favorites to go and see and bob dylan i saw there yeah yeah some of those more recent ones are the ones that uh that i definitely can can uh speak more uh, uh to than than some of the later ones that i had been to because yeah it was more about getting getting uh, drunk than it was anything else <laughs> having a couple bruce kind of yeah so, for me that's that, that at least what it was so, Mike, this one will be interesting for you. Um, so, since you guys are up in Wausau, what do you consider to be the Northwoods or up north? My view of that question is, uh, Merrill, once you get past Merrill, you're north of the tension line. That's what I'm saying, too. So, like, when uh, 51 turns into that single lane, you know you're up north. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, next one I got for you. Have you ever hit a deer? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you got that one in the bag. Awesome. Yep. We've had a few now where nobody hit a deer, which is crazy. Yeah. It's really nuts. So, yeah, I've hit more than one, actually. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I've unfortunately hit quite a few myself. Um, so i got to ask you, too, have you ever tailgated at a Brewers, Packers, or a Badgers game? Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. All I, of them? All three? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the, trifecta. the trifecta. Awesome, you hit Perfect it. Perfect score. i got another question for you now. Um. So for beer brats, is they is there a beer you recommend from Bull Falls to try with a beer brat? Yeah, the the brats I was referring to earlier are made with five star ale, but my preference is to make them with Midnight Star Lager. Midnight Star Lager, awesome. Yeah, cool. And we'll try that one. But, and then I got yeah, one that more. Works the best in my mind. Okay, I got one more question for you before we let you go today. Um, other than Bull Falls, is there a brewery that you suggest to go and check out? It can be in you know, in Wisconsin or anywhere in the United States, anywhere. I well, there's some in Wisconsin, but the big one that comes out in my mind is Sam Adams. Oh, I've been there oh, yeah. in Boston. Oh man, it's such a cool tour. Yeah, I've been there, and that's that's an impressive place. I went there during uh, the Boston Marathon, I remember, and uh, there was passing around. No one was drinking the beer, so I had like four pitchers because none of the joggers or like the oh, marathon yeah, runners yeah. wanted a drink. So I was just like getting just trash for free. <laughs> and luckily I had an Uber ride to the airport, so I just remember they're like, yeah, we're not drinking today. I'm like, all right. No, so I, I just am. Had, I, I'm like, I'm from Wisconsin. I'll handle this. So <laughs> it's just a funny story about that. Yeah, really cool tour, though, and it's free. One of the One of my favorites. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And I, that would be my go-to beer when I can't get Bull Falls or some other good craft beer that's from around here. Absolutely, yeah. They definitely have some really good beers. Really I like good. their they just released a Hazy IPA. I really enjoy that one. It's really tasty. Yeah. But all right, Mike, thank you so much for your time today and uh we hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll, we'll do. Thanks. You guys too. Yeah, all right. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye, Mike. Bye. Yep. Thanks. Bye.
All right, that concludes this episode of Wisconsin Drunken History Podcast. If you enjoyed this vulgar display of Wisconsin, please like and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you prefer. And remember to hit the bell on YouTube to be notified when we release new content. Also, if you have any suggestions or ideas for future episodes, please send us an email at widrunkenhistory at gmail.com or head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Thanks again for listening, and remember as always, watch watch out for deer deer on your way home. home.